When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome in Rose City to the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. I'm Ryan Clark, joined by Chris Reifer. And Chris, this is March. It is uh, the beginning of March Madness today. Uh, a little, uh, a little basketball made in Portland to start out this podcast. But uh, what, what's, uh, what's your final four? What have you, have you made your bracket with, uh, with about thirty minutes to go here? I'm 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 actually a, a conscientious uh, objector to to, to brackets. Oh, I like I, I got I got off the the bracket uh, the the bracket racket in college uh, when I uh, I sort of just got to the point where as I was watching games I felt like rooting for my bracket was like inhibiting my ability to just enjoy the madness uh, and so I've become I've become a little bit of like a bracket agnost uh, and now I, I I just like enjoy the madness and enjoy the craziness uh, and and root basically universally for upsets. Uh, rather than being dictated by you know how terrible it would be to lose an elite eight team in in the first round and, and and those kinds of things, so so nerdy bracket boy in me versus Chad basketball enjoyer in uh, in Mr. That's, Chris Reifer. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So that that's the that's the big rift on today's podcast. Yeah. Who, who do you have? What what's uh so what's I, going around the the you know the, the the office pool in 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 on your bracket? So basically, my my final four we got uh, Alabama, Texas, Memphis, and uh, Gonzaga as as the four, and uh, Texas beating uh, Alabama in the championship game. I, I really like the uh, Longhorns this year. They play some good hoop, so uh, excited. Uh, for, for them to lose not today by all the, <laughs> the, the the problems surrounding the the Alabama team over the last few weeks you don't think that's gonna set them up for a disappointing tournament I think that that type of stuff can definitely have an effect but I I like their region in terms of their ability to advance so um once they get to the final four we'll see I have gone back and forth between having them lose to Memphis in the final four uh, who they played a close game with early in yeah. the year and uh, having them make it to the championship game, which I think they will. But Longhorns all the way, baby. Let's uh, let's hook them. So uh. <laughs> <laughs> you see, bracket. That's this is exactly it. Brackets would put me in the uncomfortable position of rooting for institutions like the University of Texas, uh, which <laughs> P- which putting I you just in the like. yeah, putting you in the same like category as Matthew McConaughey. I feel like is never a, a net positive unless you're talking about. Uh, you know, wealth, 
But shout out to Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> by the way, and his soccer club for losing to Violetta FC in CONCACAF Champions League. If you don't know who Violetta is, that's perfectly understandable. Nobody did until about a week ago. Uh, they are a semi-pro club from Haiti. Uh, they they played their away leg in the Dominican Republic, which, if you're familiar, is not Haiti. Uh, and uh, and Violetta gave out three two on aggregate over over the fighting Matthew McConaughey's of uh, of of Austin. So yeah, that um, uh... shout out to to Matthew McConaughey for. I think without without question, there's there's been debate about the 2008 New England Revolution against Joe Public. I think this is the worst MLS loss in CCL history, just given the difference in MLS quality, or, or I guess I should, should say in regional competition history, given the difference in quality between MLS in 2008 and 2023, this is absolutely inexcusable. Uh, Josh Wolf uh, and, and his team uh, should be, and it looks like are, uh, hanging their heads pretty low. Uh, after that one, but shout to Violetta. Yeah, pretty Excellent uh, job. Awesome story. Like all the adversity in the world, can't play a home game because it didn't meet CONCACAF standards. Had like like 12 players. I think it actually had 14 players who could actually travel to the U.S. for the second leg and nonetheless came out with a dub. Uh, nice work to them. That's an amazing story. Uh, and, uh, you know, and Austin are the goats. Pretty uh, pretty shameful moment for MLS generally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and by the way, that's that lowercase game. goats, not not the initialism. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely not the greatest of all time. It's definitely <laughs> uh, the woat in terms of uh, of games for MLS in that competition. Um, speaking of upsets, maybe not one as lopsided as as that. Uh, St. Louis City SC came into town uh, last weekend to face the Portland Timbers. Uh, and for a majority of the match, they were the better team. And yeah, the, res- I was the say result not upset at all. The, yeah. the better team won that game. <laughs> yeah. Well, at this point, yeah, you, you could, you could argue that St. Louis given the injuries to Portland on paper, a better team at this point and record wise, they are three Oh and Oh now to start their expansion season is St. Louis. Uh, Timbers have one win and two losses. Tough two to one loss for them against St. Louis. Couldn't produce anything. Just not a lot of identity. Not a lot of uh, really anything in terms of producing on the attack. I think they defended decently well, but all it took. But was, also embarrassingly at times. All it took was two. Yes, embarrassing moments like the, they had. The second uh, goal is awful. Yeah, I mean a, a a deep free kick like that. It's not like that's coming in from just outside the box. A deep free kick like that bouncing in the box. And then being scored by an opponent's header. You gotta be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Yeah, it was painful. I mean, there, there were moments that were confounding in that game for the Timbers. And um, you know, you, you think about the injuries as as the big issue hanging over everything, but I don't think you can fully use it as an excuse in terms of the performances we've seen on the field. It's it's just been a, a lack of identity, a lack of vision in terms of uh, how this team has played for the first three games. And it's probably not going to get a whole lot better considering the injuries that they have to deal with. Just a laundry list of players that are out for Saturday against Atlanta. Um, It's week three. And it's week three. And, and, you know, I will say this as a caveat. um, Most of what you do for the first half of the season, given how many teams make the MLS cut playoffs now under the new format. Um, it doesn't matter nearly as much as it probably should 
So there's a window here for the Timbers to get healthy and figure their stuff out without it being completely devastating. But there's also a chance that it is completely devastating, that they lose game after game, that they're dropping points left and right, and they're sitting near the bottom of the standings in wooden spoon territory after the next few weeks. Yes. And like that, that, that was well. what that was against St. Louis. That was wooden spoon soccer that we all saw. Yeah. And, and that's really unfortunate for a team that, you know, when healthy has, I think the talent to be a top four team in the West, but talent doesn't win you those games, right. All the time, even if they were fully healthy, I think they would still be in a bit of a, a uncertain spot right now, given the form that they're in given that lack of, you know, identity and purpose on the field that they are currently playing with. Um, you know, well, watching that St. Louis game, what were some of the the major things, I guess, that stood out to you, Chris? Well, I, 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 get, I want to step back for a second and dispense with the notion that games in March aren't important or less important. Uh, a wise man once told me, uh, every game is a final. And, you know, I think that that, has a certain mathematical allure to it insofar as games in March, if you win them, you get three points games in October. If you win them, you get three points. And so if you get three points in March, that's three fewer points than you're going to need in, in October uh, in order to, you know, qualify for the playoffs, achieve your goals, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. But it seems like we get to this point Round about this time every year where the Timbers stumble out of the gates. Uh, they, they drop a few results that, that, you know, I mean, the LAFC one, I, I think is understandable to some extent. The St. Louis one is less so. And the performances, I think across the board just have not been good. And it seems like we get to this point every year where we start kind of hearing through the, 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 the whisper network. Uh, that, hey, you know, I mean, it's March, it's MLS, lots of teams make the playoffs, like, we got time to figure this out, yada, yada, yada. But a wise man once told me that every game is a final. Uh, and I think if you're a Timbers fan, as as I certainly am, you're getting awfully sick of watching the team be bad early in the season and hoping that maybe they can put it together sometime in the summer and go on a run and get into the playoffs and maybe be like a hot hand in the playoffs. Uh, frankly, that approach lacks ambition. That approach just completely writes off the supporter shield. And it also defies just the simple mathematical logic of if you want a good seed in the playoffs, you need to be good all year. And it is just as important to be good in March because those games are also worth three points as it is to be good in October. And so, you know, I, I just completely reject as, as a matter of the expectations that I have for the club, the idea that it's okay, that they're not very good right now. I don't think it's okay. And as I look at the team, I think they are unprepared to play. They're under, unprepared to compete with most of the rest of MLS in a lot of ways right now. I think they're unprepared from a roster construction perspective. They're trying to build the plane in the air again. Uh, while they're making important starting level signings here in the middle of March and seemingly going into April now uh, with respect to a center back signing that they say they're targeting. And you had four months of offseason to get that business done, and it just didn't get done. And frankly, both of those positions 
were not only foreseeable that they would need to sign, they were foreseen. They said at the beginning of the offseason that those were things that they were targeting. Um, and, so, and they didn't get that business done. And now they're trying to get it done while the plane's in the air. Again, I think it's easier and more effective to build the plane before takeoff. And I think the Timbers year in, year out don't do that. So they're unprepared from that perspective to, to compete in MLS right now. I think they're unprepared physically. The I don't think you can look at the injury list and simply say and, and say that's normal for week three. What they have eight, nine guys out for their week four game at Atlanta. Uh, and, you know, it's sort of a combination of soft tissue stuff that they've picked up over the last few weeks uh, and knee stuff that <laughs> appeared in, in training camp. Oh, they're unprepared physically to play. And, and this is the list of injuries just for those who. Yeah, let, let, uh, let's get the facts before we get to the commentary. Yeah, to just the, the facts of the situation here. So. Evander out due to a hip injury. That's that's the starter. He he had been dealing with an ankle issue before, and then you know they said strained groin, but as as Chris has pointed out, um, you know groins and hips tend groins to be and hips often go together. Yes, interrelated. So that could potentially just be the same injury as the one he was pulled off for, uh, and they're just identifying it as a hip. But you know the remainder of the injury report beyond Evander. Uh, Felipe Mora out until the middle of the summer with a knee injury. Sebastian Blanco out until question mark with his chronic knee issues. Uh, David Ajala is uh, is out with a knee injury for probably another week or two is, is what Gio was thinking. Same goes for Dyrona Spria with a right knee injury. Tegi Ikoba, uh, he came back and was training with the team as of last week after having knee issues, and then it appeared that he re-injured himself uh, during training. That was something that, that the media was uh, was there for and witnessed last week. Um, Jimmy Chara out for likely multiple months now with a right hamstring injury. Cristian Paredes is out uh, with a hamstring issue as well, but not nearly as serious as Jimmy Chara's probably a couple of games. And that's that's a pretty long list of players there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight contributors. Eight. Yeah. Eight guys. Eight guys out. Uh, I think that, you know, it, it, like sometimes injuries are bad luck, right? I mean, spit happens. Uh, and and sometimes that that's just what injuries are. But... If you're, I mean, good leaders are skeptical of convenient explanations, right? Good leaders, when when they're assessing a problem, aren't going to sort of readily grab for something as convenient as, ah, bad luck, woe is me. And given that the Timbers seem to have these injury issues with some consistency from year to year, I think there needs to be a pretty... Serious analysis as to why that is, whether they're bringing in the wrong players, whether their 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 loads uh, in their training sessions aren't quite right, whether their sports science stuff isn't quite right, whatever it is, uh, that's got to be figured out. But at this point, it's an organizational weakness. And I don't think you can look at that injury list in week three going to week four and conclude that this team is physically prepared to play. They're not. And so that's another way in which they're unprepared. And then getting to the game against St. Louis, I thought they were tactically unprepared to play. 
And I don't know exactly why that is. So I'm not pointing my finger at any particular person or any particular group of people because I just don't have kind of the, you know, detail of, of knowledge. I wasn't in training, right? I wasn't in any of those things. So I, I can't say that any one person or, or, or group is responsible for this. But in that 352, which just is, is structurally different from the 433, 4231 base that we see them play. Oh, they just, I mean, not to be harsh about it, but they just looked like they never trained it before. Uh, and we know they did because Zach McGraw said last week that they had trained it. Yeah. Uh, but they looked like they never to. trained it before. Yeah. And I think you saw that in the attacking sequences, which frankly were nonsense. Uh, there was no width. There was no structure to them. Nobody was running off the ball. Uh, there was a lot of clumping that was at times reminiscent of Bill Oram's kick and chase team, uh, where there was a lot of very, very tightly packed standing around waiting to look to see what whoever was on the ball was going to do. But there, there was very little structure to them. And that was really poor. <laughs> Frankly, when you're only using 20 yards of the width of the field in an attack, it's not hard for two or three guys to defend, even if you have numbers. And that's basically where St. Louis was all day, where it wasn't hard for two or three guys to defend that Timbers attack because there was no structure to it. The, the, the runs weren't there. Whether they're going to be coming from the wingback position or coming out of midfield, uh, it they just weren't there. And so it bogged down in sort of, you know, uh, kind of improvisational combination play that just didn't work. Right. And, and that has the potential to get even worse uh, a week from now when they play the galaxy, because they won't have Juan Mosquera who got called up to the Colombian national team. He's a guy who's played well, been in good form and, and been relatively dynamic for the Timbers so far this season. Um, you, you think about the, the change at striker, how much of a difference did it, really make not too much he obviously Fogasa I think is much more dynamic much more interesting and a better option right now for the team than Yaroslav Nishgoda yeah he was better but not a different not difference making better not difference making better and and you know maybe Frank Bowley will be that but who knows when Frank Bowley's gonna get here right? who knows whether he'll be that I mean he, yeah he's a high risk signing in terms yeah. of in terms of what he's gonna produce this year I mean I I, I I think it's it's a little bit of a wild card. He could be good, could be not very good. Right. And and even that, even if he is a difference maker, even if, you know, he is that type of player, everything around him tactically and from a personnel perspective still has to work. Everything yeah. else, everything yeah. else has to fall into place. It can't just be, you know, give the ball to Frank and let him cook. Like it's it's very much going to to be a challenge for for the rest of the guys to to gel to be in better form it's strange because you know you can only take so much away from preseason but the approach the you know the way that they played in in that galaxy preseason game that i attended down in palm springs um was a lot different than the way they have been approaching games uh so far in the regular season um 
they were a little more direct. They, they were crisp. They made great passes. I think that um, one of the major X factors was a guy like Eric Williamson, who um, I still think is in good form, but hasn't really shown in the regular season, what I think he showed in preseason. And there are a lot of different cogs to this not working machine right now. This, this very broken missing parts machine that, that is the Portland Timbers roster. But um, it's hard for me to imagine any of those things turning a corner this weekend in Atlanta. I think that's going to be a brutal match for them. And, and, Beyond that Galaxy game, you're probably going to have the same lack of personnel, and it could be even worse um, considering Moscara will not be there. So, arguably in the, in, the best player today. Yeah, arguably their best player to date. It's it's a little grim. Like we we can be doomers on this podcast a little bit, and I think that Timbers fans, I love them to death. I love their commentary and their intelligence on on the Twitterverse. Timbers fans can be a little doomy in their own respect, uh, but they so, have a good that reason. Sometimes is rational. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> and this frankly, point, I, I, I don't think the Timbers have shown a lot to make that doomerism irrational so far. No, I agree, honestly. Like, normally it's just kind of part of the deal uh, to, to be a little doom and gloom in the early part of the season as a Timbers fan. But at this point, um, the sky is not falling, but you can definitely see the cracks beginning Cloud, to form the clouds are pretty dark the clouds are getting a little uh, a little spooky in the distance for, the, for you know, portland the, the other thing that i thought was just a huge problem over the course of the game against st louis was the timbers midfield balance was and, and central midfield balance in particular was just brutal and I, and look i i, I think i think christian paredes was really important to the way they planned to come out to play and him going off with that hamstring injury uh, really hurt them quite a bit in that respect because neither Williamson nor Evander do the mid, the sort of two way work that Paredes does. Uh, And I thought when he came off, everything became quite imbalanced to the point where it frankly just wasn't hard for St. Louis to play around Diego Char. Chara was on an island as really the only defensively oriented central midfielder at all. And maybe that's a job that he could have done at the age of 27 or maybe 32 or 33 even, but he can't do that job at 36 going on 37. I mean, like there's just gotta be the acceptance of that, that there's no 36, 37 year old at a high level anywhere in soccer that can do that job like anywhere and he can't. So I, I I thought they St. Louis repeatedly uh, were able to work around him. And because of that, even though they ostensibly had three center backs, although they really started pushing Dario Ziparic up almost as a right back in, as the second half went along, which was, ineffective attempt from the, in the attack. Yeah. And uh, that was pretty wild to see for a guy that, you know, we love Dario. He's, he's an entertaining guy and, and a good, good person, but he is the slowest player on the he, field. He's not a right. By back. A, he's not a right back by <laughs> like any stretch is, of the imagination. Right he, his, his foot speed, when you compare it to the rest of the guys on the field, very, uh, let's call it measured <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> compared to the rest of the team. 
But even if you have three, you're playing with in sort of a true three three center back set, which I would still call it that throughout the game. Although it started to meld into a four, into a, a four player back line as, as as the game went along. But even if you're playing with three center backs, if opponents are bypassing your central midfield, you're still going to be very exposed. Because even those three center backs, if you if you get them pulled out into space as St. Louis was doing pretty regularly, you're pretty exposed, and it's difficult to defend consistently that way. And 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 I think that central midfield balance really really hurt the Timbers as the game went along, which was another really worrying tactical sign I think for the Timbers, to which there's no obvious solution, right? Because Paredes is out. Ajala still isn't back, and even if he's getting healthier, given that he missed so much of preseason, he's going to have a ramp-up period. And by the way, he's still developing in the first instance. So if if your thought is, well, maybe Ajala is going to be back, uh, and, and that, I mean, if you're counting on him to be your savior, ay ay ay, that's not <laughs> that's not a great moment. Uh, that's not great. Uh, and, and and you know, Paredes will it sounds like get back, but. With a hamstring, even a minor hamstring, it's going to be a few weeks, whether it's three weeks or four weeks, you know, I, I mean, who's to say, but it's going to be a few weeks. And I thought that was an enormously uh, worrying sign against St. Louis, a team that doesn't have Tiago Almada. <laughs> you know who does have Tiago Almada? <laughs> Atlanta. I, uh, as I actually had the thought as I was watching the, the game against St. Louis of, my goodness, Tiago Amada is going to eat these guys alive. It, like, put Amada on your fantasy teams, folks. Like, get him in there. <laughs> like, captain him. Do whatever needs to be done. He, like, based on the way the Timbers played against St. Louis, he is going to shred them. I like. I would be surprised if he doesn't have multiple goal contributions with the way the Timbers played last week. Yeah, and and you look at their game that they played against Charlotte. I mean, it's it's. I mean, three zero, three zero by halftime, and 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 then you know came in at the finish. Yeah, yeah. So that fo- following that level of form for Atlanta, if if they do on Saturday, it might be worse. And and I, <laughs> you know, MLS is weird. There can be. Weird results all the time. The Timbers could astonishingly pull out a point um, out of this game, like in a one-to-one weird situation. Possible. But I, it's possible. But I would lean much more so in the direction of, in terms of predicting of it being a lopsided loss for Portland and and them kind of just taking another week to figure their stuff out and <laughs> go from there and see if they can get get some points at home against the galaxy but it's grim it's it's yeah. a really really scary situation right now for for portland in the early going and so for all of these you know i i guess just to kind of tie a bow on the whole thing if i had one word to describe the timbers right now it's unprepared and i think that is something that from the very top on down they need to be pretty forthright with themselves about uh, and figure out a way to fix it and to fix it as soon as possible. Uh, and, and unfortunately I think they've got some pretty structural issues that are leading to that lack of preparation, but 
you know, it they they are what they are, and they need to be addressed, and they need to be addressed urgently. Uh, or this is going to be another year like 2022, where they put themselves too far, they paint themselves too deep into a corner to get out of it. Which was the story of 2022. They didn't lose. They didn't. They they that season didn't fall apart because they stumbled into the finish a little bit. That season fell apart because they were in the race for the wooden spoon until June. And they weren't able to fully dig out of that hole. And it looks like we are headed that way again in 2023. Transitioning to a team with a bit better prospects in the much world. better prepared. Yeah. Little, little, little better situation. Um, the Portland Thorns opened up their preseason on Sunday with a one zero victory over Rossing Louisville. Um, thanks to a nice header uh, late in the match by Megan Nally, uh, who stepped in as a substitute and, and broke through after a, a whole bunch of opportunities that the Thorns were not able to convert. Then come last night, uh, this is being recorded on Thursday, so Wednesday night, um, the Thorns played the US U23 youth national team and won 4-1 to one after going down 1-0. A um, little less important, I think, in terms of takeaways from that game. That's that's more of an opportunity to to scrimmage, I think, than to play a, a real-life type yeah. of game. I think the, the Louisville... The lineups reflected that, too. The lineups reflected that heavy rotation. Um, but, you know, still a few scores. Izzy Diakia, who um, is a forward that... Mike Norris and his coaching staff are very high on somebody that looked good in the Louisville game. Yeah. She looked good in Louisville as well. Could really explode this year and, and be a a Sam coffee type rookie, maybe not to that level of immediate major contribution. That's a pretty unreasonable expectation (laughs) to put on her. They're real excited about her either way. And there's a lot of forwards up there that Izzy's going to have to compete with. So it's a lot different than Sam's situation where she was plugged right in as a six and, and she shined. Um, But, but a few other goals in that game, you know, Hina Sugita scored, Morgan Weaver scored, uh, Sophia Smith did her thing, you know, put the ball in the net and, uh, and overall, you know, good start to preseason for the Thorns. They're starting to to round into early season form a little bit. They've got OL rain on Saturday. Uh, and then after that, eight days later, uh, the, the Thorns open up their season against Orlando at home. You went to that preseason game against Louisville. Uh, what, yep. stood, what stood out to you about uh, their performance and kind of what you're seeing of the early, you know, baby version of this year's uh, Portland Thorns? What stood out to me was how prepared they were. Uh, I I think they, for a preseason game, preseason games are pretty ugly a lot because teams are figuring out the combinations. They're figuring out the rotations. They're, you know, they're sort of just, they're working on those things that they need to work on in order to be ready to to play in the regular season. And so they can be pretty ugly just from like a systemic perspective quite a bit. I thought the Thorns looked like a pretty well-functioning machine from a systemic perspective against against Louisville there were a lot of uh, of attacks that just didn't quite come off I think because they're just a little bit of a lack of sharpness uh which is not worrying at this point uh but in terms of how the structure was operating even with some absences on the right wing the that Thorns left side was just absolutely bludgeoned Louisville 
basically through the entire first 60 minutes in which they had the starters on the field. Uh, and it was the combination of Megan Klingenberg, uh, Hina Sugita, Rocky Rodriguez would, uh, would, would rotate over there. And then Sam Coffey operating as the pivot point. Uh, I, I think they, they just totally dominated the game. And, and they dominated the game from sort of the X's and O's perspective that you love to see at, at this stage of preseason. And so uh, I think overall that, that talk about a central midfield that had balance, the, the, the central midfield of, of Coffee, Rocky, and Olivia Moultrie uh, in the Louisville game had pretty good balance. You want to see Moultrie find the game a little bit more than she did, uh, but especially given that they were that they were really targeting uh, that left side, I, I think it, it's understandable why she didn't. Um, but overall, I think that that midfield functioned really well. Uh, I, as as a person who was initially really skeptical about Sugita on the wing, I thought it looked great, and I thought she was really really effective from that spot. And I thought they just needed a little bit of extra sharpness in the final third. Which, if you want to read anything into the the midweek game against the U23s, oh, it looks like that starting group did find <laughs> a little bit of that sharpness in the final third. Yeah, um, yeah, they subbed them in like towards the end of the game because, you know, it was a heavily rotated starting lineup. And then uh, it went from 0-1 to 4-1. Yeah, yeah, very quickly. 0-4 to four, real quick. Which, you know, against the the, nat- the national team U23s, I, I think you would expect that to happen. Uh, you would expect the Thorns to be able to, the Thorns starters to be able to create a lot of chances against that group. And they did. So, you know, I think it'll be, uh, it'll be a good final test against the rain uh, this weekend. But in terms of the eye test as to how this team looks now a week and a half away from their opener, if I can read my calendar, right. Uh, I think all systems are go like everything looks like it is coming along just as you'd like to see. Which is both not surprising given the the continuity in the player personnel uh, from 2022, but is also reassuring given the chaos <laughs> among the non-player personnel uh, from 2022 to 2023. Uh, that that you know there were there were some I think subtle differences in the way they played. They pressed a little bit more than they did under Rian Wilkinson, uh, which which is nice to see, and I think is something that that this team has aptitude to be able to do, especially when you consider how athletic they are in that front three between Sugita uh, Smith and, and eventually Morgan Weaver or, or Crystal Dunn, uh, depending on how they, how they shape up. My guess is that Dunn will probably play in central midfield and that Weaver will be in that front three. But that should be a pretty good pressing front three. Uh, and then if you add sort of at the, at the point of the central midfield done, that's a, a, a group that could be really disruptive. And that should be really disruptive. Uh, and if they do that more, I think that's something that could be some upside for them. And they were doing it a little bit more. That's great. Uh, but in terms of the the overall structure, it looked exactly as plug and play as as it should have been. Uh, and I think that's a reassuring sign. Yeah, this is really the same team as last year in, in the best possible ways. It's not stale. It's not, you know, just a repeat, run it back type of situation. They are... They are making these slight adjustments to to the way they play. They are tinkering with different lineups and they have a, a larger pool of players from which to choose. And they're still very much that team that won the, the championship last year in NWSL. This is a really scary team for the rest of the league to, to think about having yeah. to play. 
Kansas City did a lot of great work to catch up to them, but they have nowhere near the continuity and chemistry that this group has. And and it's going to take a lot of work for them to get to that point. Now, at the end of the season, will will they be neck and neck? Probably. Yeah, that that I very well could be in in my view, but there's an opportunity this year I think for Portland to separate itself from the pack because there isn't another team in NWSL that is bringing back this much talent, but also this much continuity. Um, last year's standings were very tight. Portland uh, lost out on the shield at the very end and barely did to OL rain. Um, but Sophia Smith and others have, have talked to me about this in preseason that this window before the world cup is crucial for them to, to build up points in the standings and, and to try and separate themselves. She specifically said she has three major ambitions for this season or for this year, I should say, uh, in 2023. She wants to repeat as NWSL MVP, repeat as an NWSL champion, and win a World Cup title with the U.S. Women's National Team. Those are her three very (laughs) achievable, but my gosh, those are some lofty goals for for I'm, an individual I'm to player. Make progress repaying my student loans. <laughs> I, I too would like to start paying back <laughs> uh, a greater portion of my student loans uh, which will be hanging over me for the rest of my adult life. But yeah, so so there that's my objective for 2023 and you can compare that to Sophia's objectives for 2023. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, find some hobbies and, you know, outside of work and, you know, maybe watch, <laughs> watch some great movies this year and, and, uh, eat good food. Uh, Sophia Smith is trying to destroy the world essentially <laughs> with, with her right foot, which she very well could. Um, but gosh, how exciting, right. To, for a player yeah. like that, of that caliber to, to be, in a Portland uniform for Portland soccer fans to, to witness what she can do. And, and I do think she'll take another big step this year. Um, obviously her major focus is going to be the world cup. Um, but th- she's still going to be on the field, tearing it up for the Portland thorns for the vast majority of the season. Um, and, and she could come back to Portland after the summer riding high on, on a potential world cup title. And that, that would be awesome for, for not only her and for the, the women who um, are on that team, including obviously Becky Sauerbrunn and Crystal Dunn and potentially Sam Coffey. But it, it's great for Portland, too, because you're talking about an iconic athlete making a name for herself, not just on the national stage with the NWSL, but on a global stage where sh- she can have her superstar moment and, and potentially be the person that leads the U S to, to glory. I mean, what, what more do you want out of, out of this sport? Is it, that, if she starts that. hitting on all cylinders at the same time that Mallory Swanson is hitting all, on all cylinders as she is now, uh, that's going to be a pretty fearsome U S women's national team attack. Exactly. One thing that, that I, I, I will say, and that you and I texted shit about during the game is, I mean, to me, Sam Coffey looks like she did last year, which is basically like a player who is like bred in a uh, in a lab to be an 
elite number six, like basically just like the platonic ideal of a number six. And that's a position that the national team is looking for and that they've tried a few different things at and they haven't played coffee a ton. And I'm left scratching my head as to why. Because in terms of everything that she does on the field, her tactical awareness, her defensive ability, her both passing range, but also the speed with which she plays uh, and and the sharpness with which she plays, in, even in preseason, it's all national team level. And, and, and so that's, that's a very round peg to fit into that very round hole in, in the national team. And I don't really understand why, why it hasn't been given a longer look. Uh, and as I think I told you during the game, at some point, the more she plays this way for the Thorns and the more she proves that that is the quality of player she is, it's on Vladko that he hasn't figured out how to unlock that for the national team. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, we'll see. Uh, I, I, I agree with the uncertainty about whether she's going to make uh, the trip to Australia and New Zealand uh, for the World Cup. Uh, I think she absolutely should. And if I was part of the national team program, uh, that would be a really important part of, of what I'm trying to figure out in these last few months uh, before the World Cup. So, uh, so, so I, I, I remained really, really impressed. I, I thought for extended periods of that game, she was the best player on the field. Uh, and, uh, I think that is a really good sign for the thorns that, uh, in addition to the superstardom that they have up top, uh, they have who, uh, a player who I think is, is an emerging superstar in what I think is the most important position on the field. Right. And everybody else around those two individuals is so solid or even more than solid. They are aging stars. They are up and coming, you know, seriously positive contributors. Um, it's you can't find a, a flaw. It, it's nuts to look at a at a team in NWSL and modern NWSL and look around all of their different positions, look at how they play their tactics and think, wow, I, I, I'm having trouble finding a problem yeah. here. There's no obvious weakness for the thorn for the thorns. And, and that, that I think is exactly the challenge uh, for, for NWSL teams. And look, the, the, the spillover effects of having such a reliable six are huge. That lets Hinosugida take up more aggressive positions because she trusts Sam Coffey to to be that pivot point and to make the right decisions and not to not lose the ball. It allows Rocky Rodriguez, uh, you know, probably the, the the middle player in that central midfield eight to take up more aggressive spots, to be more of a complement to Sugita, that left wing, because she knows that Coffee is not going to lose the ball and isn't going to waste the ball uh, and is going to make the right decisions uh, and, and is going to put the passes on point that need to be on point uh, and is a good defensive safety blanket. Uh, and, and, and just the, that is, I mean, that's why I think the six is, is still the most important position of the 11, because if you get that position, right, it allows, it makes everybody else's jobs so much easier. And I think we saw that over and over and over and over again in the combination between Klingenberg, uh, the combination play between Kling, uh, uh, Sugita and, and, and Rocky, uh, against Louisville, which was great. So, uh, I, I think. Yeah, to put a bow on this one as well, the Thorns look very prepared. And I think there is every reason to believe that this is a team that should have the ambition of stepping into these for a few months of NWSL and being a bit of a terror. 
and, and they look certainly capable of that in preseason. One more piece of news before we let everybody go. Uh, Janine Becky last night uh, in yeah, the game is... for the Thorns. This is a rough piece of news for a team that's got a lot of positivity around it right now. Um, she injured her knee, uh, went down in a lot of pain, apparently, uh, and was stretchered off. We don't know, obviously, the the status of the injury yet, but given what folks who were in the stadium told me uh it didn't look good at that moment and they're going to continue to evaluate her figure out the severity of the injury and here's hoping that not only can she come back soon for the thorns but you know there's there's the canada national team to consider as well um for the world cup and and she would obviously be a major contributor for that group um so everybody here uh thinking about janine becky at this point and hoping for a positive diagnosis as the next uh, few days. Yeah, come along. Let, let, let's hope it's not as bad as it at least sounded like it was, uh, because that would certainly endanger her World Cup, and that would just forking suck. Yes. Oh, so I, you know, I that would be that would be really unfortunate, and would feel really bad for Janine, uh, who has done just an enormous amount of work for that Canada team, both on the field and especially this winter off the field, has been a huge leader for them. Uh, in in terms of their equity fight uh, that they're having with Canada soccer. And so uh, I think she would continue to serve that role as a leader within the Canada team, uh, even if she she isn't ready to go on the field. But uh, you, you would like her to sort of have the reward uh, on the field uh, for all of the, the important work that she's done off of it. And if she's not able to make the World Cup, that'd be pretty good. Absolutely. Well, that will wrap it up for us here on Soccer Made in Portland this week. We'll be back next week to talk the Atlanta United game and that wrapped up preseason match for the Thorns uh, against OL Reign. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. That's Apple Music, Spotify, and everywhere else. Follow us on Twitter at Soccer Made in PDX, at Chris Reifer, and at Ryan T. Clark with an E. Uh, Thank you for joining us and we will see y'all next week.